0: Welcome to Empowered by Women for Women. This podcast brings you inspirational women and their stories, their successes, and their experiences along the way. Join us to be challenged and inspired, brought to you by Invintage and hosted by myself, Trudy Kerr. Claire Tonner is an award-winning Maltese singer-songwriter with a highly individualistic sound, iconic stage presence, and conveys a free spirit in everything that she does. And it's been that free spirit that has seen Claire take her talent all over the world, including India, Spain, Portugal, Cadiz, New Zealand, Morocco, and traveling to many more destinations. Claire has performed and collaborated with many household names, and her deep, mellow vocals have led her on her journey. But in December 2019, Claire won Best Songwriter at the Tour Music Festival in Rome, taking home with her a scholarship to the summer camp songwriting workshop in Berkeley in Boston, which has been sadly postponed, no surprises, largely due to COVID. And Claire has much more of a story that we will be finding out during this podcast. But welcome, Claire. So good to have you on the show. And so many questions, because, of course, I've been researching you and just jaw dropped. But let's start by setting the scene, because you have a very distinctive voice and your style and your presence. How would you describe yourself to anybody who's never met you?
1: I would say I'm a breath between life and death. A breath
0: between life and death.
1: Yeah, I think that's the closest or the most honest thing that can describe me.
0: That is profound. Why? Why would you choose to say that?
1: Because I'm, you know, like, um, even though I sing and I'm a daughter and I don't know, all these roles or all these parts of my identity, they shift and they change. Like, even though I can't Breathe. If I don't sing, there are many days that I cannot sing or I have nothing to say. I'm not just a singer for sure, because those days that I can't sing or I can't write, and or I have to do other things. I think being a bread between life and death is the most honest thing to that can define me and. Any it, other person, most probably.
0: <laughs> it sound, well, it sounds like you've thought about this an awful lot, and this is probably not the first time that you've been asked this question for you to describe yourself. Uh, in actual fact, I've seen interviews with you where you've had that same question and not a dissimilar answer. But let's tackle this straight away. You, you are a singer-songwriter, but you've just mentioned yourself that you do other things as well. So what do you do outside of singer-songwriting? Singer
1: yes, I think in my life... I've always sung and I've always written, it's, it was never a choice. It was never something that made me happy. <laughs> it was just something that actually I need to do because when I don't do it, um, I get sick or I have mental struggles or I get a breakdown or I get depressed or I don't feel alive or I'm not fulfilling this aliveness that I'm meant to live. So that is the only reason why I sing and I write.
0: Can I stop you there before we go on to, to any other points? Let me just pull you on that because every time you open your mouth and say something, there's a thousand more questions. I've Sorry. scripted the show and we could be here for five hours. You talked about the fact that you don't have a choice about songwriting and that it is, I assume, from the what you just inferred, that it's some kind of therapy for you as well. You have to do it. You get depressed if you don't do it. But it's not necessarily something that brings you always joy. Explain to me, is it therapy for you? Is it something that is a release? Yeah, Where I are we going it, I think
1: it's very natural. No, I think it's an instinct, just like when you're tired you need to sleep or when you're hungry you need to eat. For me, I need to write <laughs> to breathe. I need to write to... Um, hear and read the things that I need to listen to. Um, Sometimes, okay, I need to write to give courage to other people. In fact, I think I used this in in my past to work with children under the autism spectrum, um, children and teenagers with challenging behavior. I channeled a lot of that for the marginalized populations, I think, or for the people that are not conventional. (laughs) Um, However, it does not always bring joy because what you have to say or what you need to admit with yourself is not always something beautiful. Sometimes I needed to write down on a paper, I'm unhappy, I'm unseen, I'm in- invisible, I don't have a place of belonging, I don't feel loved, I bend. I, you know, So these are not things that you're going to write and sing and you're going to feel happy. You won't feel happy, but you'll feel complete.
0: But when you write... Therefore, does that mean your writing is for you, or is it for your audience? Does every hmm. song make it to the stage? Does so every song make no, it?
1: no um so I think maybe i don't maybe a decade ago um i've realized that I have a gift of not being shy to express what I feel, and life maybe has given me. The confidence to talk about or sing about my insecurities and I've realized that when I actually do that when people resonate to that they feel really empowered by their own humanity I don't know I used to be very shocked when I I used to sing about how insecure I feel about my body and then people feel so great about it when I sing it in a concert I was like why are they shocked and I realized because they're not used to seeing truth on a stage now the thing is this. I don't do this because it's needed. I do it because it's who I am. <laughs> you get my point?
0: Absolutely. And I think you've just identified one of the biggest challenges that we have in our society today is because people don't talk about and it's one of the reasons that we have this podcast is that we can tackle so many topics that are not discussed and not open because we don't talk about the fact that I might not like my hips and I've always had a bit of a big bum and I don't like it yes I mean
1: of course um when I am performing um, when I'm on a stage in a prison like I did in my past or in a slum or in a with Jose Gonzalez, you know? It it doesn't matter the place where I am singing or where I I am performing. They think it's the connection I have with the people. And it's not even about singing what I wrote or singing what I felt. Over there, I become so empty of myself that I, I am like an instrument. What the people are thinking or what they need to hear actually passes from me and goes out. Many times people ask me, can you teach me how to sing like that? Can you teach me how to sing from your heart? And I say, you have to be so empty of you, of yourself. I know that what I do, it's not clear to my ideas. It's me being a channel, me being empty of what I actually am or what I want and actually just being an instrument. You know, I know that what I say or what I sing, it's more strong than me. It's the experience of life itself.
0: We're going to come back to this empty vessel in a second, but before we do that, I'm just going to pick up on something you just said. Did you just say Jose Gonzalez?
1: Uh, yes, I sang with him.
0: Uh, you're talking about the...
1: Yeah, yeah. When he came to Malta, in, uh, I think it was 2019.
0: So if anybody doesn't know who this is, go and look him up because he's one of my favourite artists and he's absolutely amazing. So now I'm incredibly jealous, Claire. I absolutely adore Jose Gonzalez. Coming back to the point that you just made there about this empty vessel, is it not exhausting? How do you... If if you are emptying yourself emotionally for the benefit of others, how do you fill yourself back up? How, How do you not completely become depleted.
1: I think it's, it's actually a very liberating exercise to empty yourself from yourself because all your traumas, all your thoughts, all your past, all your memories vanish. <laughs> you know, like if you make yourself vanish, it's like a meditation really, you know, like when you just focus your attention to the sound of silence, there is nothing. So all your traumas, all your worries, all your fear, all your ecstasies, they're gone. And it's a place of stillness. Now, for me, that is the process for me how to write. And that's also the process for me how to perform or sing. I need to be very empty of who I am. And I've experienced concerts or situations where the things that came from my mouth, I don't know what they were. You know, I didn't plan them, you know, they just come out and people were crying or were shaken or were, it was an experience more than a song, you know, and I was like, what was that? But I know that when I chose to, when I choose to be a channel and be empty of myself, what comes out is much more powerful, much more beautiful than Claire Tón. (laughs) you know?
0: You just mentioned that word I was about to pick up on, powerful. It's an incredibly powerful experience and a powerful position to be in. You are Maltese. I'm assuming you grew up in Malta. Has this always been your journey, or is this something to do with the fact that you've travelled and you mentioned you spent time uh, with in slums and with the underprivileged and with kids and so on? Is this something that you've developed, or have you always
1: had this? Well, I think... Um after spending many years um, in many different cultures and many different continents and places, I realized that everywhere is the same. <laughs> and we are all the same as well. So when people started asking me, where are you from? I couldn't say I'm from Malta because I actually was growing up in many different cultures. You know, like It's true, I got raised here in Malta, but I definitely grew up when I was living with no money in my backpack and, you know, just following what made my heart alive.
0: How old were you when you started backpacking?
1: I th- I was 25 when I left.
0: Okay.
1: It was um, maybe one of the best things I've done in my life. It was the first time I definitely, that I definitely chose what made me happy. And I didn't choose my mind, you know. I didn't know how I'm going to arrive. I just knew I had to go. And full-time do, what I, what made me happy.
0: And full-time do, this is you travelling around the world, sing a songwriting, um, or, or yes, what, are I you, wasn't, what are you up to?
1: I wasn't really travelling. <laughs> I had no money to do that. There's a lot th- of countries, uh, <laughs> Claire,
0: for not travelling. <laughs> I'm going to go with you on travelling.
1: Um, I think um, I had this moment um, when I realised that what really made me happy was benefiting was helping others to feel happy about their life or finding solutions to other people's problems. And having a full-time job and being kind of stuck in a system that kept me kind of trapped and only in my free time, I can do that thing, it contradicted what I believed in. So I gave away all my belongings. I bought a ticket to Calcutta, to India, and when they were like with like 400 euros, <coughs> I had no money, no support system, nothing, but... I had, wow, I had not one drop of fear, you know. I knew it was the right thing to do.
0: I'm going to break down this story a little bit more. You're 25 years old. You've given away all your earthly possessions. You've got 400 bucks in your pocket and you get on a plane and you go to Calcutta. I
1: did that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Did you know where you were going to go and what you were going to do? Please uh, tell me, that you didn't get off the plane and have no clue. No,
1: no. All I knew was, um, well, I wanted to go and live amongst the poorest of the poor, maybe in a very simple place where I could teach what I know. You know, for example, if I know how to write, I can teach people how to write. No, So I was like, okay, I can go teach people what I know and learn. Because God knows how much we always need to learn. And also I went with this idea in my head that I can find solutions for problems and that doesn't cost money. And of course I had a lot of trust that life is taking care of me. And it did, you know. Like, okay, the 400 euros did not last a whole year, the first year, but while I was there I ended up writing music for a movie. I don't know, things were just happening, you know. (laughs) So when you decide to accept that you're in life not just to suffer, And during life, to be happy, back then, that was the thing that made me most happy, to contribute to people's joy. I know it sounds very happy, but it was very true. And I did it. And I was so right. Calcutta is a city where many volunteers go. So every day I was meeting, I don't know, architects, nurses, doctors, everyone. Malta, Malta, I'm a doctor. Malta, Malta, I'm this. And I just made the resources, meet the needs. Today, I won't be able to do that. I don't think I have the energy that I had when I was 24, you know, or 25. But the thing is, from there, that it was, it was the first time I actually chose the will of my heart. I didn't have a plan. I just knew, my, my intuition knew that I needed to arrive there. From there, I collected all... I used to ask people in the streets what they want to tell the world. I, I wrote all these lists. And from Calcutta, I went to Spain and started singing what these people wanted to tell to the world, you know. And anyway, then it, go- it went on, I think, 12 or 13 years. Calcutta I was based in Spain for a long time. I've never had imagined myself that I would actually live with the music. Um, when you open yourself to live your joy, it comes. And it wasn't always easy, you know. But for me, it was much harder when I tried to have a full-time job, or try to bend, or try to fit. In a way of life that didn't go with me.
0: There are people in the world who do what you do and you have done, and they follow their heart, and they break the ties of security and a mortgage and a car and a nine-to-five job and everything, and they go and they follow their dreams. But that percentage is quite low would you suggest to anybody that's listening to this podcast, how would you suggest that it's something that is for everybody? Is it a good thing to do? Is it for everybody? And how on earth do you start? Because it's obviously <laughs> shaped your life.
1: I don't think it's for everybody because we're all different. For me, this was the cause of my joy and my aliveness back then in my 20s. And I did that. I don't think that everyone should do it. But I think everyone should choose what really makes them happy. And if they don't know how they're going to do that, they just need to accept that there's a way. I think it's so easy to do things that you don't want. Many people are unhappy in their job or unhappy in their marriage, unhappy in where they live, and they are an af- they are afraid to think how to do it in another way. You know, maybe yes, you can't afford the house, then don't buy a house. You know, maybe you can instead of work full time. You can work part time and live with less. You know, I never thought I could live with two hundred euros a month, but I did. Okay, it's not, it wasn't always easy. You know there, I am, In Spain, there were times where I did not have enough concerts or gigs, and I ended up living in a forest. It was very scary living in a forest on my own. <laughs> it was another experience. It still, somehow, um, it was easier for me to live in this will of life and following what made me happy than the other times where I tried to actually have a, when I tried to conform. I don't know how everyone is able to do it. I can't do that. Many people tell me, "Wow, you've got lots of balls to do that." And I'm like, "You know, shit. Most things that everyone does, I can't do." Because every time I try, I end up either with a breakdown or I feel like I'm crucified or I'm not singing. So, of course, not everything is for everyone, but choosing what makes you alive definitely is, you know.
0: So, you've gone round the world I mentioned Morocco and Cadiz and New Zealand and Portugal and Spain and India and you've gone immersing yourself in the culture and the peoples that you want to be around and then you've written about this but now you're here in Malta and before we talk about anything else how did that journey change why are you back in Malta?
1: Um, Malta's treating me really really well in the the past I think I had like a Love hate relationship. <laughs> it's like my mom. <laughs> it's like every time I used to come here, I used to experience really intense things. And I'm like, okay, it's because I'm in a place where I have a lot of memories, so every time I'm here, I'm healing, I'm facing. After the first lockdown in 2020, I came back to Malta and I started having my le- the left side of my body getting paralyzed. And then I was diagnosed that I had two broken discs from my spine. <sighs> This all happened, yeah, last year from 2020.
0: This just came out of the blue.
1: Yeah. um, And you just
0: happened to be back in Malta because of the lockdown.
1: Yes, well, I came here because of my job and this started happening. But in a month and a half, I was like a vegetable. I couldn't walk, I couldn't move. Um, I I was told that the surgery, they will open me from my throat to remove a disc from my spine. And that there was like... 85% that my voice will come back in a couple of years. And my voice actually is a miracle that it came back. So anyway, this thing kept me here. But of course, I was meant to be here. Um, If this thing didn't happen to me, I don't think I would have had the support from my family. I would have not gone to ask my family to take care of me, which was a really big, giant leap for an independent... (laughs) person like myself, you know, um, I went from going in places and kind of, I don't know, taking care of people, blah, 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 to not being able to have a shower on my own. And also, this breaking my spine and being here in Malta, I don't know what would I have done if I was actually not Maltese. I would have never have afforded such an operation. I ended up, of course, I can't work, I couldn't pay the rent. So Malta took care of me a lot (laughs) and of course while I was paralyzed um, with 11 staples on my throat knowing that my voice won't come back I wrote the best shit ever because I did I was not writing what I want to hear I was writing what needed to come out you know so my music has changed a bit as well and my writing as well like before I think I used to feel this big responsibility that what I sing I need to empower people and then when I was like lying down with no voice for months, I couldn't even play, um, use my hands like I used to when I was writing and singing in my head. What I was singing and I was, what I was writing was not empowering at all. It was like this, my soul vomiting, you know, or maybe all my many emotions that I always zend in a way, always try to see it with peace. All of a sudden I was like... Bah!
0: I like that analogy of your soul (laughs) vomiting. That is going to stay with me forever, Claire.
1: I was operated, the operation went really well, recovery went really well. Tomorrow I say thank you every day, because while I was going through all this experience of unimaginary fear, you know, I don't have much fear in my life, but I've never imagined that my voice will be taken away. And now I know that it can. Uh, Malta took care of me also because um, in this time where I can sink between one operation and another, I've been given really great opportunities. Malta, like I said, it's like a mother, you know, it's like a mother hole. I had a lot of issues with Malta. <laughs> not because I, I don't know, not because I was a lesbian in, in the 90s or in a time where, you know, for many things, I it's like I found it hard to associate myself with the culture here because I always used to feel so... Such an outsider, I, I connect with no one, you know, like the, the way people think, I don't think like that. Now, I don't know if it's because of living in other cultures, I don't think so. I think it's because I was always very honest with myself.
0: Do you think that that uncomfortable feeling that you had of living in Malta is what prompted you to leave Malta in the first place?
1: I was living in Mallorca because I was taking care of a, a friend of mine that um, was having um, had a cancer. She passed away um, when she was 32. But I remember, like, I ended up living in Mallorca and doing music there because I went to live with her and I went to be with her. So I ended up living in Mallorca, you know. (laughs) In New Zealand, the same. I was collaborating with a writer. I was involved in this project on sexual abuse. Uh, I ended up releasing my album there. So it's never... I've never went anywhere just to see. It was always there was something that I wanted to do. And it ended up in a different land. In Malta. I love it. I still don't see myself living here all my life, and I don't see that in anywhere, really. I think the only place I can call home is the space where I feel. It's not a physical thing. But the part of Malta that hooks me, that uh, fills me, is definitely, there's this mystic and very sacred part of Malta. When I see, you know, the goddess of fertility, this fat woman, body without a head, Feeling her womb, that is me. (laughs) That is what, you know, like, that's me. It's really not fashionable (laughs) here. It's old, it's primitive, it's the strongest standing stone. And for me, that is Malta. No matter how sometimes I struggle to live here or whatever, now I can feel that stone and um, it helps me keep my spine.
0: We're going to talk about songwriting in just a second because, of course, uh, you have been awarded the title of best songwriter at the tour music festival in Rome in 2019, at the very end of 2019. But I wanna come back to something that you just mentioned about your trip to New Zealand and something that you mentioned in an interview that really stuck with me. You mentioned that you want to take your music to prisons and people on death row. And I thought to myself, Okay, now that I'm talking to you, I can understand that you have these goals, you have these peoples that you want to touch and that you want to reach out and you want to connect with. But why prisons? Why And why death row? And where? And how?
1: Okay. And where is this coming from? <laughs> okay, so first of all, I've done many, many concerts in prisons in Spain. So in 2014, I had, made, I had written this material called Night Skin, which was about grief, abandonment, about depression. Of course, I was going through a breakdown myself, and this stuff came out and was incredible. (laughs) It was all about suffering, but it was about trusting suffering or letting suffering make love to you, you know? And it was great. I toured it in over 158 venues, I think. But while I was in Spain, I contacted an NGO that worked in prisons, and I said, I would love to share this material in prison because I think it's where it needs to go, you know? I've always had a tenderness or maybe a belonging with marginalized populations. And when I think of marginalized populations, prisoners are one of them, are, is a population that was very marginalized and very unloved. So, And this thing with the prisons in Spain, pff, I've had never, you know, they're the best concerts I've ever made. and. It's where this timelessness, like I wanted to stay there. And, and the prisoners themselves, they were like, well, it's very easy to stay, you know. <laughs> In the prison, um, I through the years, of course, I ended up collaborating with the prisoners themselves. For example, on Women's Day, once I did a concert and the, the female prisoners wrote their stuff. Um, they're the freest people I've ever met. Because, um, Hang on
0: a second, you're saying people in prison are the freest people that you've ever met?
1: Yes, because they have nothing and they appreciate everything and they make their own desires. And if they allow them to make toast, they feel they won the, lo- the lottery, you know. Because the, the less things you have, the more um, opportunity you have to forgive yourself, to heal, to actually find something sustainable inside you, you know. And I find that when I'm in prisons. And of course, the most beautiful thing that is every time I played in a prisoner, they would tell me, yeah, yeah, we've got a prisoner who's a light engineer. We've got a prisoner who's a drummer. We've got a prisoner who, so, you know, like it's really cool <laughs> to actually go um, in these um, spaces and collaborate with the prisoners. And if I've learned something from suffering and I managed to put it in a line, and that line, each time I sing it, I feel free. For me, it's really important that I go and share that because if out of all those prisoners, one person felt it. I've done my cause of joy, you know.
0: You put so much emphasis on songwriting and communicating through music, but particularly on songwriting, about emptying yourself onto, the, onto a paper, onto a, a song. Now, I, I've spoken to songwriters, singer-songwriters here in Malta, and have looked into this process of how you write your song. And whether it be your, you know, you structure around a verse or a chorus or a bridge or, you know, all of these sorts of things. How does that process work for you, Claire? Because you talked about emptying yourself. You talked about putting things down into a song, about needing to do this. It's not a choice for you. But how does that process happen literally?
1: Mm. They really come alone, you know like so sometimes I could be walking or things come in my head my head starts talking and they get the mobile and I write it down other times I work on it like I, I dedicate time every day that I sit and I write uh, I think it's the only thing I was constant with <laughs> in my life <laughs> for me the word is the starting point sometimes when I'm Like I said before, when I'm in a very empty of myself and I had abundance of silence and I'm not talking and I'm not listening and I get to that place, this stuff comes out on its own and it comes out ready. I've got songs, maybe some of the best songs, they came out on their own. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And then other times I just write. It can be a whole book. And then from that book I managed to take three lines that will end up three verses in a song. Not all that I write is good. (laughs) I wish.
0: (laughs) But what you do write must be very good because you won.
1: I'm more interested in that. I'm I'm more interested in um, having songs that I can sing all my life. And it comes with a cost because nothing makes me alive apart from sex, then, you know, like singing my songs. And I really don't do it <laughs> because you I only... songs or sex? <laughs> They're the same thing, really. <laughs> yeah, it's true because for me, the creativity, the process of creativity for me is is very spiritual and same as the sexual expression. I think if you're in bed with someone, it's a place where you really can't lie, you know? It's the most honest pre- reflection of your deepest place. And the creativity is the same thing, you know? I think that like meditating, singing, and uh, most probably sharing as an intimate sexual plane are the only three things where I'm completely empty of myself. It's an experience out of my body, where I'm a channel, and wow when i'm not when where I'm not just human, you know, so when you ask me about how I write my songs, it's different things, you know, but my preferred way is when I'm in that blissful state when my head is so quiet and so still and things come out, you know, the, ne- the things that need to come out, come out. There are times where I have meltdowns or a big fight with my mother or something like this, and I go and I cry, have a meltdown and I write all this shit, you know, and it's really good as well. But And then, of course, when it comes to the music, I used to play guitar from when I was six. So for me, I was very comfortable to write songs with the guitar and then make an arrangement with musicians. Then after my spine, I can't play guitar anymore, so I started with the piano. Um, But I play by ear. It is, I think it's, for me, that is the kind of what slows me down. In Spain or in other countries where I used to go meet producers or musicians, the music is ready, boom, you know, I'll have a song after the other. But my own material, of course, then it's very intense (laughs) or sacred, you know, because I go to that space of being empty of who I am and... The stuff that comes out is more than who I am. And I think that's why it touches the people because it's everything and nothing.
0: A couple of weeks ago, the New Victorians, who were the very first guests on Empowered, had a songwriting camp.
1: Yeah, it was a blast.
0: (laughs) Well, explain this to me because I was invited to go and I couldn't because I was in quarantine. But But you talk about this... Quietness, and this is where the, the, your songs are flowing from, this is where your inspiration comes from. Well, so I'm assuming that a songwriting camp is not quiet, particularly if you have Philippa and Bettina around, mostly <laughs> Philippa, but but what is what is a songwriting camp about? What, what it is was, the point it of It was that?
1: really, the songwriting camp um, that the New Victorians organised was really, really well done. For me, it was a new experience, of course. I had told them, you know, I said, listen, I'm a solitary wolf, I, you know, I know her. <laughs> I mean, I had co-written before with writers, but it was great. So um, um, we were put in different groups on different days for like a session of an hour and a half or two where you had to write a song. And I actually wrote really great stuff. And what I realized is when people talk to me about their shit, I can actually write faster about another, other people's shit and great things because there isn't that emotional... Journey, and it was so beautiful. You know, it was so great. So
0: you've mentioned frequently this album
1: (laughs) that you've been working on (laughs) for ten ten years, years, (laughs) Years. and in the last interview
0: you said it's coming out soon,
1: and we still haven't
0: seen it. I mean, this is this is a a long time work. Why ten years? And when are we going to see it? Yeah. I mean, is it because of is it has has it been delayed? I'm sure of the I'm sure
1: that if I I'm sure that if I had the money, um, seven years ago, um, it's out, you know. So back then, maybe it was the money and also my producer because I was tied to a very good producer, and they used to come to Malta so we'll work on the album. But things were happening, you know, either either was very busy or or you know. And I'm very easy, like, don't worry, no. I prefer to do something as it flows than with deadlines. Um, But Claire,
0: deadlines?
1: uh, It's been uh, 10
0: years! (laughs) I know!
1: (laughs) But, But also, in the same time, like I said, the songs that will be released are songs, they are a testament, because they are the songs that I will sing all my life. Not because I've put a lot of work on them, but... It took time for them to cook. It took time for me to make them in a way that I am really happy about them. Now, good news. Of course, the good news was that um, when they told me I'm going to lose my voice, my voice Imagine that. (laughs) Like, I had to do it, you know. I'm working with a new producer. Um, The material is very, very different from what I used to do before because it's a mix of gospel with 90s rave. Because I think I used to sing all these intense stuff in a very soulful way, like a prayer. And then, of course, I learned that we have to dance with suffering. So this new material is... um, It's danceable. It's all statements that we all should say. Hard statements, but um, I wrote them in a way, and I'm singing them in a way, and we're producing them in a way that actually people will be dancing and saying, "Wow, I'm a nobody, you know? (laughs) So... Um, we've got four singles already recorded. We've been for months working on this video. All this year, the singles will come out. You know?
0: This year, they're going to come out?
1: Yeah, yeah they're, we're almost there. Eh?
0: 2022 is going to be the, the yes. year. When, when does the album come
1: out then? I don't know when it will, when it will be ready. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is because, you know, in life, um, okay, I, I, I can easily say, you know what, if I had, a, if I had an agent and if I had money, this is already out. The thing is, I don't have an agent and I don't have money either. But you know what? <laughs> you, know? <laughs> I, you know what
0: I've loved I, about talking to you is that you've actually shared a story of your life and your principles and your thoughts and your goals and your aims and your challenges that really has no reference to money at all. You've gone with your heart yes, and you followed your And heart. you know, like,
1: I think to stay genuine. And stay well, it comes with a cost, you know. Like when I decided I'm I'm just want to sing and I just want to write and this is what I'm gonna do. I didn't even have money to buy tampacks, you know. And it's very hard to be jobless, you know. It's very I mean even now, you know, I'm not working, you know. <laughs> I'm forty, I don't have any savings, I have nothing but I've lived and I'm alive. And at some point I know I will get the deal, just when I like when I went to Rome. I went wrong with nothing. I ended up, I actually, at the time I was really broken. I had just split up from a long relationship. My dad was just diagnosed with two tumors. I was so broken. And I went there, of course, singing a song about confidence because that's what I needed to sing and I won it. And eventually, you know, like Berkeley, actually they made me the referral. I couldn't go to Berkeley because of COVID. And then I couldn't go to Berkeley because I was paralyzed and they referred me. So. These 10 years for my next your album, if the world was waiting for it, imagine myself. And it, it will come it. out, you know? <laughs> I'm really glad to hear this.
0: Claire Tonner, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your story. I'm really excited for the singles and the album. And I have to say also, thank you for coming and sharing that beautiful laugh that you have, <laughs> an incredible sparkle in your eyes and your wisdom. Thank you so much. Thank you so
1: much. I'm sorry this was a bit uh, more intense than I kind of thought would be.